start off with some helpful hints for the unemployed. If you're looking for a job, uh, here are some statements you might want to edit out of your resume. Uh, might be a good idea to white out these statements if they're there. Statement number one, I believe empathy is overrated. If that's in your resume, you might want to get rid of that. Another statement, in the last five jobs I faithfully served in over the last two years, you might want to just kind of avoid that. Uh, if your hobbies are pit bulls and automatic rifles, you might want to leave that out. If you're willing to sacrifice your family for the company and everybody else's, you might want to leave that out. If you've learned to cope with financial crises at every job you've ever had, you might want to leave that out. Here's one statement you certainly don't want to uh, put in there. Um, my personality has provided me ample opportunity to develop conflict resolution skills. And finally, one statement you certainly would like to leave out of your resume is, I've been told that every day I work is better than the next. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your word and for your presence. We ask you to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 5, verse 33. Then they said to him, Pharisees, Why did the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Now keep in mind, Jesus taught fasting, but he said, when you do, don't let anybody know about it, so that your reward will come from heaven. But if you broadcast the fast, the fact that you're fasting all over the world, or to everybody you know, I knew a guy that fasted 40 days, and he gave us all a countdown every time we saw him, and prophesied, he predicted signs, wonders, and miracles at the end of this fast, and of course, he got his reward, our sympathy, oh, you poor guy. And he also taught about praying in a way that doesn't draw attention to yourself. Praying, you know, having a private prayer life. And the Pharisees were all about being public and being seen and, and uh, judging others by what they could see or not see in their lives. But the disciples of Jesus at this season really weren't fasting. Look at what Jesus said, verse 34. He said to them, Can you make friends of the bridegroom fast? while the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. In the imagery of describing the people of God, the Bible calls us several different things. We're called the flock of God. We're called the church of God. We're called the house of God. We're called the children of God. We're called the sons of God. We're called the family of God. But we're also called the bride of Christ. And in that facet of our relationship with Christ, we are the bride as a people. So men, we don't have to say, I am a bride. You can say, I am part of the bride, or we are the bride. And Christ is our bridegroom. And fasting is a means by which we uh, restrict ourselves from eating or from entertainment or some other thing that brings us pleasure to make room in our life 
for more of God. Room for fellowshipping with the Lord. If you look at your day, the amount of time spent eating, preparing to eat, cleaning up, it takes a lot of, big part of our day, going somewhere to eat. And when you fast, you're not just being hungry, but you're making time for God. And you're focusing your thoughts, because generally you can only think of two things when you're hungry. Food and why you're not eating food, which reminds you, oh yeah, God. Well, here was God in the flesh with them. It would have been dumb for them to fast right now. Fasting isn't just a spiritual discipline that we do to show that we're spiritual. It actually has a purpose of drawing near to him. They had the word made flesh. They're with them. The bridegroom was with them. There's no need to fast. But the day was going to come when he would depart. And they learned quickly that you could draw near to this Jesus that we loved in prayer, in worship. In fasting. So that's the point I think Jesus is getting across. Verse 36 says, Then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. Now this was the day before iron-on patches. You know when you can put a, some part of your garment gets on. Who's ever used an iron-on patch? great. They make it now multiple colors. You can just put them on on the inside of your clothing before it tears and make it stronger. But in this day and time they didn't have that. You had to sew in your patches and if the fabric you used to make a patch with was new and you put it on an old garment that new fabric is going to shrink and distort the fit of your clothes if not even tearing what you had sewn and making another hole when you put it on. So he's, he's just telling them an example and then he's about to make his point. But before he does, he makes another example. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. No wine, that is fruit of the vine, uh, unrefrigerated over time will, will ferment and create alcohol. Um, and in that day, they stored their wine in bags made from goat skins. And new wine was obviously going to expand as it fermented and reached maturity. And if you put it in an old empty wine skin that has no more elasticity in it, as that wine begins to cure, it overstretches the wine skin and you lose it all. It all falls out on the ground. He's likening himself and the kingdom that he came to bring to the new. And the Phariseeism and an old-time religion to the old. And there is a definite difference. There is a conflict. There is tension between the old and the new. All right? Stay with me. Verse 38. But new wine must be be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new for he says the old is better. In our day and time we can see this in American Christianity when churches crystallize 
or harden themselves around their methods, not the gospel, but the methods of the past. This is the way we've always done it. You know, the dying words of a dead church is, we've never done it this way before. You know, we, we, we have to use, and please don't feel like I'm throwing stones at anyone, but we, uh, songs aren't any good unless they're 100 years old. Well, if people 100 years ago believed that, we wouldn't have the songs that are 100 years old. Think about it. Ooh, how dumb can you get and still breathe? So I visited a church recently, and the little lady giving us a tour just talked about how much she loved the hymns and hated the new songs. And this is human nature. The old wineskins resist the new. It stretches them. But how many want to be stretched? I'm looking for a Stretch Armstrong doll. If I had one, I'd stretch him out and say, this is what God wants to do to us. Make us stretchable, flexible, changeable so that we can be relevant to a culture that's going to hell and needs to hear the gospel in words and terms and with rhythms, with rhythms and harmonies and melodies that appeal to their ear. It's true. In public schools, the music departments will not teach new songs to their choirs. They've got to be centuries old. And I think part of the reason of that is if they sing songs that are too relevant to the kids singing in the choir, somebody's going to get convicted of their sin. But you're singing in Latin or some foreign funeral dirge that doesn't relate to the culture of the people singing it, they can sing it and sound beautiful and it does not affect their life. Amen. Get off my soapbox. No one having drunk old wine immediately desires new. When Jesus turned the water into wine, uh, the people were amazed that they, they didn't know what had happened, but they, they complimented the master of the feast. He says, hey, you know, usually you bring out the cheap stuff as, as the you know, it, night wears on, you bring out the cheap stuff, and here at the end of the wedding, you brought out the better stuff. Now, let me just settle something right here in your minds. What is wine? Wine is aged grape juice. That's what it is. That's all it is. So we're talking about grape juice, saints. And in the day and time in which this was written, with water being contaminated, and unless you boiled it and other things, wine was the beverage of the day. They did not have refrigerators. And they did not have MSG to put in it. So this was wine he's talking about. Everybody say it was wine. wine. Don't say he made jelly and they had to concentrate and all that. It was just wine. It's what it was. The scriptures teach against drunkenness. Drunkenness will lead to sin. It does. It leads to it. So the scriptures forbid drunkenness. My point today isn't to push wine down anybody's throat. I'm a teetotaler myself. I've never acquired that taste. Um, I experimented as a teenager in my second time, hugging the toilet for three hours, begging God for his forgiveness. <laughs> At a wedding, I may toast the bride and groom, and I'm telling you, when I put it to my lips, it is like fingernails on the chalkboard. <laughs> it gives me the creeps. I'm forcing myself to be sociable in, the, in that occasion. So 
In your prayers for me, never you, you don't have to pray for two seconds about me being tempted with alcohol. Now, other things, please keep the prayers coming. The Pharisees of that day, and even the Pharisees of our day, many times resist a fresh move of God's Spirit, a fresh revelation of God, because they have so enjoyed what God has done in their life in the past that they're resistant to any form of change. Sometimes we, it's possible to make an idol out of an organ, or an idol out of a hymn book, or an idol out of an overhead projector, or an idol out of video projection. The whole gamut of all this stuff is just methods which, which help us praise and worship God. The heart of the matter is, are we willing to worship and praise the Lord and be stretched in any setting? So if you go to a church with hymnals, enjoy it. Get a taste of your roots. Were it not for hymnals, we would not have that. It's the truth. We'd all be chanting in Latin. So thank God. For those who've gone before us, we're willing to be stretched and embrace the new wine, the new practice. Embrace, uh, allow the Lord to give them a new garment so they don't have to patch up their old one. I'd like to speak to you today on acquiring a taste for God. I've been told that you can acquire a taste for Diet Coke. Now, I love water, so you don't have to send me any health notices, but I love water, but my, my favorite recreational beverage is Coca-Cola. It's the real thing. <laughs> I'm convinced if it wasn't for the real thing, there wouldn't be the diet thing. It just wouldn't be. But I'm told if you push yourself... And said as a quest, in just a few weeks, you can acquire a taste for Diet Coke and love it. And then the real thing is distasteful to you. I've never acquired a taste for Sweet and Low or that other stuff. Splenda is kind of growing on me. I kind of like that. But I have acquired a taste for tea without anything in it. And the way I did it was I started drinking mint tea without sugar in it. And the sweetness of the mint kind of fooled my mouth and... And then I was able to transition from mint tea to just tea. And actually, I can drink a whole lot. If, if I'm drinking unsweetened tea, I put away too much of it. I'm going to the bathroom all the time. Just something about it requires more. Something about sugar in tea, it, it will satisfy your thirst. Whereas unsweetened tea, it, you just put it away. Anyway, so I, I, I have experienced acquiring a taste for something that I didn't like. When I married my wife, I hated liver. I couldn't stand liver. Who hates liver? Oh, may the Lord, may all the beef farmers in the house forgive us. But I married a girl who named a vet who knew how to fix it. You put time in it, you, you cook it on a grill, and immediately, from the grill to the plate, knife and fork, if you eat it immediately, it is absolutely delicious. It's got to be sizzling, like fajitas. You know, you like fajitas to sizzle? If, you're, if the liver hits your plate with the onion, sizzling with thyme and the gravy that that made, it is absolutely delicious. Great. Just don't, we just don't bring it to a church picnic because you can't get it there sizzling. So you can't acquire a taste for things. 
Today I'm going to speak to you on acquiring a taste for God. I'm not talking about a taste for going to church, an appetite for listening to me preach. I'm talking about increasing or developing an appetite for God, for yourself. In my younger days and in the younger days of the crowd here, we see people, and I've even been one of those people, gone to camp and really been impacted by God and come home and for, before the summer is over, the impact has wore off. What happened? Was I truly impacted by God? Oh, yes. That happened to you. Were you truly impacted by God? Yeah. That happened to your children. Were they truly impacted by God? Yes. But being impacted by God is just the starting point. Developing a thirst for God, a hunger for God, an appetite for Him is where we sustain our spiritual growth. So, it's my hope today, today's talk is an appetizer to set you on a quest for having an appetite for God. But I have to start out by being honest. Um, I went to a conference two weeks ago at Shady Grove Church in Grand Prairie. <clears throat> the church where the Lord really birthed me in the ministry years ago. Would not be here today were it not for that congregation. And I heard a sermon preached by the senior pastor, Gary Benjamin, along these lines. And I realized that my appetite for God had waned that my prayer life had become prayers for help, <laughs> prayers for wisdom, prayers for this and for that, prayers for answers. And God is faithful. But my prayers became seeking His hand and not His face. And so, once again, I'm on a quest to reacquire the taste I once had for God and to move beyond that taste to even a heightened level of appetite for him. So, I'm preaching to myself today. Please know that. So, if I seem extra, those of you that have come here for a while may say, man, he is extra, extra <laughs> intense today. Who is he aiming at? Yours truly. Experiencing God can be likened to tasting his goodness. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. God can be experienced. He can be tasted. Peter called it joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. No one has ever truly converted that has not experienced or tasted the kindness or the goodness of God. Who's tasted His goodness? We've experienced it. Next point. Maintaining our taste for God or our appetite for Him will satisfy us with Him. I think sometimes when we are impacted by God, we, we think, well, that was it. Not knowing there's a daily communion that He desires to have with us. 
Oh, God sure was merciful to me. He saved me. Now it's back to life as usual. That's not his desire. David wrote in Psalms 36, verse 7, How precious is your loving kindness, O Lord. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. The Hebrew word therefore abundantly satisfied means to bathe, to make drunk, to soak, to satiate. So what he was saying is they are bathed or made drunk or soaked with the fullness of God's house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. The Hebrew word there for river is nakel, which means torrents of your pleasures. In God's presence is fullness of joy, the Bible says. Could it be that all the busyness of life that we experience sometimes is us pursuing significance, chasing fulfillment, and it's waiting for us in the privacy of our place of prayer. We're running around chasing our tail and the Lord's just saying, hey, I'm here. I'm your delight. I'm your satisfaction. I'm the river that you're looking to other things to fulfill. Next point. Seeking him early sustains our satisfaction with him. You know, before the day begins and all these cares of life hit us, spending time with God just sets us up for enjoying him throughout the day. If we put it off, well, I'll meet with God tonight. Yeah, right. By the end of the night time, you get into your place of prayer, your mind is so full of stuff, it's hard to press through. Psalm 63, 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, that is abundance, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Well, Pastor, isn't that out of the Old Testament? Yeah. And the New Testament is supposed to be even better. Amen. Fourth point. Tasting his word will increase our appetite for it. You know, if I never tasted unsweetened tea, I would never have acquired the appetite for it. Now, instant tea, oh, that's a whole other thing. It gives me the heebie-jeebies. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Maybe the first time David read the word, it wasn't that sweet. But as he developed a taste for it, it became very sweet to him. Psalm 19, talking about the word. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Remember that song from the 70s? Sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. God's word can be sweet. Next page. There is a place for taking inventory of our tastes. Before we take communion, the Bible says we're to examine ourselves. to Check the condition of our heart. 
It was a biblical practice to take inventory of yourself. David said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Job 6.30 says, Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern the unsavory? Lord, when I start the day or when I end the day, what is it that I look forward to for the next day? That's wherever my appetites are is where I'm going. And maybe our appetite or our thirst is for things that are not for us. Maybe things that will lead us into sin. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. But I'm telling you, the source of self-control is the Spirit. So just trying to generate self-control to keep yourself from sin isn't the answer. Learning to be satisfied with Him will cause that stuff to lose its power. Are you wrestling with sin? Have you surrendered to the lie? Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Have you swallowed the lie? Well, I'm supposed to sin because that's what I am. Or is there not something in your heart that says, man, I know God's will. Isn't this a hopeless cycle of repenting? An appetite for God will cure a whole lot of disorder in our lives. Our appetite is influenced, next point, by our hunger. Proverbs 27, 7 says, A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. You know, when we're so drunk on the things of the world, or our lives are so full, we don't want anything else. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Developing an appetite for God is making room for Him. Vacating yourself of a lot of that activity. And allowing yourself to get bored, to get hungry. And then allowing God to fill that in. And he will transform your appetites. Where are we looking for satisfaction in life? Is it drugs? Is it busyness? Is it relationships? Is it novels? Is it television? Is it... Internet activities? Is it making money? Is it just surviving one more day? You get the point. Living below our privileges. We do that. God is the source of joy. God is a source of satisfaction. This isn't a sermon intended to put blame or shame on anybody. This is a sermon to make us thirsty for God. He is... You know, some, some, some of us may wrestle with pity parties. Somehow we find fulfillment in feeling sorry for ourselves and getting other people to. 
That may be a season that you're in, but I'm here to encourage you today. There is a better day to look forward to. And it's in him. If you can spend time in the throne room of God, where the joy is there, you don't know how your destiny is going to be affected. Next point. If we have a thirst for God, our children will also. I'm just here to encourage you, if your children are in rebellion, get thirsty for God or stay thirsty for God. And they're watching you. How are you coping with the hardships of life? You know, Andy Duncan talks about, I've heard him talk about this more than once. Him waking up in the middle of the night and seeing his daddy on his knees in the living room, spending time with God. And Joe Duncan will do that. If he can't sleep at night, he just uses his opportunity to spend time with God. It impacts our children. Look at this promise, Isaiah 44, 3. I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. He promises to respond to those that want him. And then look at this side effect. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the water courses. Young people, you may think mom or dad is wacko. But let's let you get out there in the world and get a roommate that rips you off and leaves you with all the bills. And what's going to come to your mind is what did daddy or mama do? They got on their face and cried out to God. I believe I'm going to do that. And you'll get hooked on God too. face life and its reality without their protection and you'll be amazed at how smart suddenly they become my daddy used to say I thought my, demand, my father was the dumbest man on the earth and then when I turned 21 I was amazed at how much he had learned <laughs> acquiring a taste for God is a worthy investment it costs us something to pursue God but it doesn't cost money Isaiah 55, 1 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. So what does it cost? It costs us Listening time, listening to him, spending time with him, seeking his face and not just his hand. Next point, our independence can rob us of our taste for God. There's something about us. We just want to be a self-made man. Who many here are sometimes tempted? I just want to be a self-made man. A lot of firstborns have that in them, which I am a part. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns. A cistern is a storage tank. It's not the opposite of a brethren. The brethren and the cistern. The bros and the stirs. The fountain of living waters and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. 
You know, it's real easy to make a cistern in your heart. Sometimes we drink from the cisterns of the past. You know, back in the 80s or back in the 70s or back in the 50s, God really moved. And I've not been happy in the church since or back here, back there, and people are living in the past. Who knows, day-old manna gets rotten. God's the God of the now, the God of the future. He is the God of yesterday. Today, and forever. He didn't say he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's a God of yesterday, today, and forever. Forever is a whole lot bigger than yesterday. A whole lot bigger than today. It's, I mean, God is all about the future. And so the cisterns of the past will, some people drink from the cistern of, you, you could just fill in the blank. Cistern of success. Cistern of revenge. The cistern of the approval of man. The cistern of being vindicated. When God has a fountain for us. Dennis Jernigan's song, because there is a fountain who is a king. Victorious warrior and Lord of everything. My rock, my shelter, my very own. He's my fountain. I run to him and say, Lord, here I am. I need to spend time with you. Help me to open up my heart to you and develop an appetite for you where I've lost one or where I've never had one or increase the one I have. Put a worship CD on. Turn the phone off and just be with God. Oh, but I'm not a preacher. Good. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Oh, but I'm young. The best heroes we got started out as little boys and little girls. Getting to know their God. Daniel said, those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. An appetite for God is a key to open the door to the destiny he has for us. He is our door. Jesus has promised that the righteous appetite will be fulfilled. Blessed are those, part of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think sometimes we don't pursue God and hunger after Him and develop an appetite for Him because we're afraid we're going to be disappointed. When we draw near to the Lord, it's with faith. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies sprinkled with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He's waiting on us. 
James 4 tells us to draw near to God and He will draw near to you. James 4, 8. Draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Lament. Mourn and weep. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. So as I draw near to Him, He is going to make obvious to my heart those things that separate me from Him. So I put on a praise CD or I start playing my guitar. and Lord, I'm here to pursue You today. I'm here for the next 30 minutes or 15 minutes, however long. I'm here to spend time with You, Lord. I want to experience You. I want to bring joy to Your heart. I'm here to worship You. And He'll bring to your mind something that grieves Him. That's not the time to quit. That's Him. Ask for forgiveness. If it's a relationship issue or something that you can go and make right, go and make it right. Respond to Him. And then come back again the next day. Spend time with Him some more and He'll bring some other thing to your mind. And soon you'll break through. I promise you, you'll break through to full-blown communion with God. Experiencing God's presence on your own without your mom, your dad, or some preacher helping you out. You will be experiencing God for yourself. Talking to somebody today who has no idea of the call that God has on your life. If He revealed it to you, it would either scare you or it would tempt you to get ahead of Him. And you try to make it in your own strength. So His call to you is to pursue Him. That's our ultimate call anyways. Follow me and I will make you. Remember Jesus? following Him. Last point is laying aside evil enables our godly tastes to grow. 1 Peter 1 ends with verses talking about the power of the eternal word of God. Verse 1 of 1 Peter 2 says, Therefore, because of the power of the eternal word of God, he says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, everybody say all, all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. These things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, will dilute our thirst for the word of God. Because those things are in direct contradiction to God's word. Malice is ill will. Envy is ill will. Oh, I don't have a problem with any of those things. Was there anybody on the planet that's alive that if something good happened to them or through them or with them or for them and you felt a twinge of uh, and you couldn't wholeheartedly rejoice, thank God, there's a problem. There's a problem. Spending time with God helps us to deal thoroughly with these issues of our heart. Malice is an issue of the heart. Deceit is an issue of the heart. And these things show up in our outward life. But God wants to clean our heart, not our act. Cleaning your act up won't do anything to your heart. But cleaning your heart up will do a lot to your act.
You don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. And so pursuing the Lord will clear up all this mess in our lives. Lay these things aside and begin to desire the purity of God's word. And then he hinges it on a condition. If you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. How many have tasted the Lord's mercy? He's gracious. If we've tasted that he's gracious, then he asks us to do these things. Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is a promise. Is living water flowing out of our life blessing others? If not, it's an appetite problem. We need to come back to Him. Come. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If there's no river of living water flowing out of my life, then I have a problem. And I've got to run to the source of the river. You know, if the Brazos River around Pecan Plantation dries up, it's because somebody's dammed up the lake. You've got to open those gates up. And if the river in my life has dried up, I've dammed up the river. I've stopped spending time with the Lord. I've, I've, I've somehow fallen into legalism or some other issue. Visions 5.18 tells us to not be drunk with wine, in which is waste, but to be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The key to living a thankful life, a musical life, a happy life, is being filled with the Spirit of God and staying filled by spending time with Him. Well, I got the baptism back in... 86. Well, that's good. That's good. I took a bath last week. Isn't it good I took a bath last week? I believe when you're saved, you're saved. Not getting saved over and over again. But when it comes to communing with God, He didn't just save us to set us on our way. Give us fire insurance so we're not going to hell. That wasn't a purpose. He saved us for a relationship with Him. An adventure with God. I know what I'm saying to some people today seems like Greek. What is this guy talking about? Just accept this for, for what I'm saying. There is a relationship with God that's more than you think it is. It's more than Sunday morning. It's more than Christmas and Easter. But it's time with the Lord. And it will bring more joy to your heart than your children. 
more fulfillment in your life than the perfect marriage. More abundance to your spirit and your life with the Lord than all the money in the world. spending time with the Lord. I'm not preaching on fasting today, but yet I'm alluding to it as an as a, uh, example. A satisfied soul loathes a honeycomb, but a hungry soul, to, every, to them every bitter thing is sweet. In the past, I've gone on some lengthy fasts, and I can tell you that during those, a lot of things that I don't particularly care for suddenly sound so good. Beets? I don't care for beets. Radishes? Ugh. I can eat them. <laughs> Take me off food for a while. Ooh. Beets looking mighty good. So I'm ending with a challenge today. Time with God? Oh, I tried that. Personal devotions? Oh, I tried that. I even did the Jerry Savelle thing. You know, stood on the edge of my bathtub so I wouldn't fall asleep and it didn't work. I fell and broke my hip. <laughs> Just deny yourself some things. to make room and to raise your appetite. So that God can begin to fulfill that fulfillment. Because if your cup is already full of stuff, there's only so much passion in our lives to go around. Only so much tolerance we have for life's challenges. But you make room for God. He will fill the hungry soul. He will pour water on the dry ground. So wherever you're going to drink for satisfaction, whatever that is, abstain for a while. I challenge you, give it a few days. And make time for God. Do it on your own. Don't go to, you know, everybody, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, you know, you're going to get your reward right there. Just do it on your own. Lord, I pray that this place will be filled with spirit-filled people who weren't just baptized years ago in your spirit. But Lord, today they've met with you. Yesterday they met with you and they're looking forward to tomorrow to meeting with you. In Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for our younger ones that are less experienced to whom the world is tempting them with believing that, that it has the keys to fulfillment in life. I pray, Lord, that you would once again reopen their eyes that they can be impacted by you every day. Lord, bring to our remembrance of the times in the past where we had the first love experience with you. Lord, that we would return to our first love with you with a full vengeance and full passion, Lord. A vengeance, Lord, that fights against things that would obstruct our walk with you. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for those to whom this is like totally new information. I pray, God, that you would bring other information along their path to confirm what you're saying today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So can we stand?
If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can. He responds to all who call upon His name. Just begin to call upon the name of Jesus to reveal Himself to you. Call upon the name of Jesus to experience Him. Call on the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and put your faith in Him. If you've been away from the Lord, I challenge you to return to Him. If you've grown spiritually cold and the world has been wetting your appetite and you've lost your passion for God, I encourage you to set yourself on a quest for Him. You mean I've got to stay in my room for hours for, for the rest of my life like some monk? No. You spend time with the Lord, He will open doors to minister in many different ways. Just got to run back to the closet, spend some more time with him to get filled up again, and he'll open up some other avenue. We began this year with the challenging word from Isaiah 54, which was promised to Israel as the barren woman, telling her to expand her borders, stretch out her curtains, and strengthen her stakes. As a church, we're stretching out our curtains. We've sent out our first team. We've sent out some individuals in the last few years, but our first team into missions. Today's sermon is about strengthening our stakes. We'll stretch further. The taller the building, the deeper the foundation needs to be. We'll do things, and you'll be very much a part of those things that we can't even dream of today if we'll develop an appetite for God that will not decrease but increase for Him. So go in the name of the Lord. May He bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you and give you peace and be gracious to you in the name of the Son of the living God. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming to worship.